the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will, obviously there's the title. It will come like a thief. And then, and then the heavens, try, try and picture what, what this is describing. Instead of just reading it, try and sort of feel the weight of it. The heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There's another verb. Since, since all these things are thus to be, and there's the word again, dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Two things we're supposed to do. Waiting for, I get that one. Hastening, that's harder to figure out. Hastening the coming of the day of God. And now it's, it's as though he, Peter thinks, you're, you're going to think I was just exercising some kind of poetic hyperbole the first time. So let me say this again. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies, that's the second time he's used that phrase. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. I'm glad this word is here. But, according to his promise, because it's all been sort of destructive so far, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray. None of the songs we sing about your second coming, even the old ones, even the old ones, he's coming soon when we all get to heaven. None of them, none of them seem to capture the striking nature of what it's going to be like. Cataclysmic. We, we, we almost talk about it in words that are too small to describe the reality of it. So we have this text that your Holy Spirit has set before the church. And we need your help on both sides of the pulpit. We need your help. Come and communicate your truth to our hearts in a way that gives life and hope and purifies our souls. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When you study... When you study this whole letter the way we have in sequence, you start to see a balance in, in Peter's teaching and the way he comes at his subject matter. If you looked at verse 8 and 9, he, he writes to fortify the patience of the saints with regard to the apparent delay in the coming. So we looked at this do not overlook, we looked at that word. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the day, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. We sang Ancient of Days. So, so don't overlook this, don't get confused. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as, as some count slowness. But he's patient toward you. 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How many people does God want to reach repentance? That's important. So, fortifying the saints with patience. There'll be skeptics, there'll be mockers. We've been talking about the second coming for a long time, hasn't happened. You either get discouraged or doubting. So, so there's eight and nine right there. Remember the promise. He's, he's going to come. The day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. He's not slow the way people think. He's patient. Don't get discouraged. But today's text, for every ten believers who are impatient about the second coming of Jesus, there are thousands of believers who rarely think about it. It's a different problem in today's text. That's where these verses come into play, verses 11 and 12. You can, you can kind of see the emphasis. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? Dawn. In lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the Heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So, so when it comes to the church, our response to the truth about the second coming of Jesus Christ, both impatience, where is the promise of his coming, and indifference. Got all sorts of time. Eat, drink, be merry. Both of those things, impatience and indifference, they're dealt with in these texts, and they'll lead to serious problems in my discipleship. And so Peter addresses each of them in turn in his letter, and it's important to see that the flow of his logic there. So last week, Christians who wrestle with impatience, mockers, where, where is the coming? This week, indifference. First, Peter deals with the unexpected fact of the second coming. That's in verse 10. And then he offers three responses in verses 11 to 13. So, point number one. The day of the Lord will come suddenly, unexpectedly, and it will be a surprisingly cataclysmic event. You see that in that 10th verse, probably most clearly. The day of the Lord will come. So here's the suddenly and unexpectedly there. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. Heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and all the works that are done in it will be exposed. This idea of Sudden and unexpected. Peter says like a thief. Peter didn't just make that up. He didn't just pull that idea out of thin air. He got the idea from Jesus. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24. Here's what our Lord said. Therefore, stay awake. You do not know on what day. I want to, that's important. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So Peter says it's going to be like a thief. Paul explains that a little more, but Peter just says it's going to be like a thief. 
But know this, Jesus is the speaker, that if the master of the house had known, look at, in what part of the night, see it? The thief was coming. He would have stayed awake. That's what this is about. He would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. I want to talk about that because it relates to that, what day. That last phrase, at an hour you do not expect, it's strange. It's, it's strange that that comes from Jesus because in other places it is Jesus who clearly teaches. You can look at the signs. You should be able to see the way things are stacking up and shaping up. And you should at least become aware that, that, that his coming is drawing near. So how can he say now he's going to come at an unexpected time? Well, we won't know what day, February 13th. We won't be able to see that. How can Jesus say, remember he, he talks to the religious leaders and he says, you guys, you're hypocrites because you can look up at the sky and you can see dark clouds and you just look up and say, well, rain is coming. And Jesus says, well, what's with you guys? You can, you can look and see obvious things and you can make deductions from that, but you don't see the signs, the bigger signs. How come you can't, how come you can't see these things? And he holds them culpable for not seeing signs so now how can jesus say he's coming at an unexpected time well the exact time that's part of it but but i don't think that's the full answer it's not that we're not given signs we should expect the season when things are ripening for his coming no jesus means he's going to return to a world by and large preoccupied and distracted. He's going to come unexpected. No one's going to be thinking about it. People will have lost interest. Most people will be relatively indifferent and uncaring. That's what he means. Not that they couldn't see the season, because he said they could. The whole New Testament is full of all sorts of signs. But you have to care about them. Peter is writing these words to encourage readiness. You have to remember, he's writing to encourage these people in readiness. What kind of people should you be? Readiness for the day of the Lord. It's not enough just to want to be ready. You have to be ready. And and the main point, I think, in Peter's words today is, is this. You can't You can't kind of make yourself ready for the day of the Lord just at will at the last minute. It's a call for sort of ongoing carefulness, ongoing alertness. You will always think you have lots of time. You and I will always put off what needs to be done now unless we remember that this is the only time we have to make ourselves ready for the day of the Lord. But, but, but the problem is, we sing about it, we hear about it, although not as much as we used to. 
but we hear that phrase so often. It doesn't sound strange. It doesn't sound shocking. It, it doesn't, we're not really expecting that big of an interruption anytime soon. Why would the coming of our blessed Lord be likened by Jesus and the Apostle Peter? Why would it be likened to the break-in of a thief? We ought to have a hard time with that. Jesus is holy, right? Thieves are anything but holy. And the term seems so carefully chosen to make the point that a thief, something, something is taken from us when Jesus comes. Just like something's taken when the thief comes. That's what a thief does. Take stuff. Take stuff away. He takes something away that you had up until that point, but you don't have it anymore. And so Peter says there's a way in which that, that's what the coming of Jesus is going to do for a lot of people. Something, something is taken from us that we had up to that point. It's something precious, something maybe we've taken for granted as just perpetually belonging to us. What? Peter says Jesus will come like a thief. Jesus said it will be like a thief. Jesus comes like a thief in that he, he takes away forever the opportunity to ready ourselves for his coming. That'll be gone. That's what a thief does. He takes away something that you had up to that point. This thief takes something far more valuable than gold or diamonds or your smartphone. And the event will happen apparently so suddenly that there won't be the time that people plan on for last-minute refinements and improvements. We, we won't get that chance. When you're sound asleep and the thief comes in and takes all the silverware, it's too late to get up and set the alarm. You have to do that before the thief comes. And so Peter's message to churches like ours, here we are, people like me, here I am, is simply this. Dawn, church, don't spend any day this coming week not getting ready for our Lord's return. Don't spend any day this coming week not getting ready for our Lord's return. I know it's bad English. Never be not ready for the day of the Lord. And, and it's a readiness that's hard to put into simple words. I mean, we all know people who aren't ready. Why aren't they? Well, usually it's because they make day-by-day they make -day decisions based on the needs they can discern in those moments. And when we all do that. Making day-by-day -day decisions based on the needs we feel in those moments day-by-day. But people who are constantly preparing for the coming of Jesus have to make a big adjustment. 
they can't live life just exactly like that. People getting ready for the coming of Jesus, they have to make present decisions based on a future event. That's entirely different, isn't it? They have to base present decisions on something that hasn't arrived yet, that they can't even see yet, that they can't date yet. Put a date on it. People getting ready for our Lord's return make every decision based on its impact on my deepening either joy or shame at the moment Jesus returns. Let me show you where I get that idea. 1 John 2.28. And now, little children, so here's how John describes it. Here's the verb, something you do. Abide in him. This isn't just I accepted Jesus in 1973. This This is a daily abide in him so that, now we know what he's talking about, when he appears, that's the second coming, right? When he appears, so there's different options now. We may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame. And then he repeats it, at his coming. So, so someone getting ready for the return of Jesus doesn't just base present decisions on present needs. Someone getting ready for the return of Jesus thinks about everything he will, every website he visits, every conversation he has, every missed opportunity to do something for the Lord. Measures every event by, is, is when I see Jesus, will this make me more joyful and confident? Will this, will this cause me shame? He's not dealing with your eternal destiny, but shame? Oh, man, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Do you wonder how many people will stand before the Lord? This is what it means when he'll wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There's going to be tears. Can you just see all sorts of Christian people? Oh, how could how could I have been so stupid? What was I thinking? So getting ready for the coming of the Lord is measuring each decision, each priority, each choice, each expenditure, all of my influence, all of my talents, and saying, how this decision, is this going to make me more confident, more joyful? Glad I did this when I faced Jesus. Or is it going to... Oh, stupid. They measure things that way. John's way of reminding me that many of the decisions I make now that seem just perfected to my present priorities will prove to be foolish when Jesus comes. So, so John says, sort that out now. Sort that out now. Then Peter says something else about the event of the second coming itself. It, it won't just be sudden and unexpected. It will, he says, destroy many of the things of this world as we know it now. That's in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That's what we talked about. And then the heavens will pass away, pass away with a roar. Heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be will be exposed. In fact, Peter actually says, Peter actually says we will hear with our ears 
the sound of everything being burnt up and dissolved. He uses that word, pass pass away, not with a sigh or a whimper, but but a roar. The only thing I can I can liken it to, it, it's not the kind of roar that we're, it's creeping into all the worship songs now. Everybody's roaring, but this will be this will be different. This will be. Have you ever had just the experience? I can think of one occasion. One occasion when long, long time ago, the Horbin boys in an empty field. There was an old shed. Nobody used it. It was deserted. We were fooling around there, and it was a Sunday afternoon. And 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 we 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 well anyway the long and short of it is it burnt down <laughs> and people should have been praying for my parents just so much more than they did but but I can s- but I can remember have you ever been up to a like a bonfire that just got a little bit out of control. And the crackling, and the, there's a sound. You know what I mean? When, when it's just roaring. That, that, that kind of sound, you, you feel it. He, he says it's going gonna, it's gonna to pass away with, with, with a roar. So there won't just be the sound of the trumpet. There will be this roar of this present world somehow being consumed. I don't think you can press all the details, but he's certainly talking about something striking. We can agree there, I think. This is not a mild event that he's talking about. He's not just saying it for dramatic effect either. He's not just trying to scare people in churches like ours. His concern is way more practical, way more down to earth. There is a kind of thinking that leads Christians into just continuing in their own uh, materialistic, sense-fulfilling, culturally driven value systems and, and just driving deeper and deeper and deeper into those things. And, and Peter addresses the mindset of these Christians head on. And any kind of thinking that places your attention more and more on the material things of this world is setting your soul on things that are just going to be burned up when Jesus comes back. Gone! So it's, it's this picture, it's this picture when the day of the Lord comes. All the things that now can almost squeeze out his voice because you can pack an awful lot of good things into your mind and into your heart right now. You can, you can soothe yourself with them. We all do it. Don't just think of somebody rich. This is us. Well, but it'll all be stripped away. We, we won't have anything else to hide behind when the day of the Lord comes. There, there won't be anything else to cling to for security except what you have in Christ. You'll realize how lightly you should have held on to everything in an instant. There will be no distractions to this final issue. So that is the event that Peter calls the day of the Lord. He says it will be sudden, unexpected. He says it will destroy everything else that we cherish in its wake. And so Peter says, the other thing he says, it's in that 10th verse, 
It's going to come. It will come. It will come. It's going to come. Point number two. Knowing the coming of the day of the Lord, there are three things every Christian should do. I get these in 11 to 14. I've got to hurry. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or without blemish and at peace. So we must be waiting for the day of the Lord. So there's a tension. Then we have to be preparing for the day of the Lord. And then we must be hastening the day of the Lord. We're only going to look at one. Breathe a sigh of relief. We're going to look at one in the rest of this message. Then we'll look at two next Sunday. Waiting. Waiting for the day of the Lord. It's in 12 and 13. Three times. In three verses. Three times in three verses, Peter says that we are to be waiting for the day of the Lord. And we're almost done. Our, our, um, our hearts, our, our longings, there's, there's a, an, an outflow of affection and anticipation. Our sights constantly set on it. That hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened for a long time. But we're still to be anticipating it. It's the exact opposite of being distracted or sleepy. We're to nourish high expectations. Now, let me just show you as I wrap up one text in the Bible that uses the same, it's not the exact same Greek word, but the same Greek root for that word waiting. And it's in Acts 3, 3 to 5. I want to show you a beautiful picture of this same idea. You know this story of Peter and John going up to the temple. Look at this. It's the man sitting at the gate of the temple, begging. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. Isn't that interesting that they said that? Now, here's the idea of waiting. And he fixed his attention on them. Expecting to receive something from them. There he sits with his need. That's the idea Peter has in mind. Fixing attention on them. Expecting to receive something from them. This is, this is concentrated Focus, concentrated attention, concentrated desire, looking to a source for something. He hadn't received it yet. Got nothing so far. Sets his eyes, expecting to receive. What, what, what do you pin your hopes on? Isn't that it? What do you pin your hopes on? If you're sick, you maybe pin your hopes on being healthy again. But for how long? 
going to go. What do you pin your hopes to? I'm going to get that mortgage paid off. That's the issue of this text. What do you find yourself daydreaming about? What could happen in the future that would satisfy and thrill you more than anything else? What do you look to as the solution to your problems? The world's problems. There are a lot of wonderful accomplishments in science, education. Environmentalists make great gains in protecting the earth. Modern medicine has lengthened most of our lifespans. We're becoming more prosperous than most people who have ever lived on the surface of this planet. New peace treaties get signed. Trade deals excite nations. And Peter says, for all of that, for all of that, Praise God, but it's on its way out. It's on its way out. You and I are not made to last forever in this world, and this world is not made to last forever as it is. Paul says it's groaning right now. And at the very center of all of this is our conviction. History is coming to a close. Earthly history. This period. I recognize there will be a new creation. This period, coming to a close. Three times in three verses, we're told, Christians, to be waiting for God's final plan for this world in which we live. Wait for that day. And it's like that man at the gate, looking to Peter and John, consumed by fixing all your expectation. I honestly believe our Lord surely wants us to be fruitful in this world, in this day, effective in extending his kingdom in every way, shape, and form, loving the world but not of the world. But I honestly expect that Jesus would want for my life and for yours that we can't we can't possibly have deep joy apart from thinking about the return of Jesus. We can't possibly have deep joy without thinking about the return of Jesus. And there's just nothing more important than being ready for that day. And everyone said? Amen means so be it. It doesn't mean, thank the Lord he's done talking. 